Hey everyone, this is Ashley Ellenboss with Skyhouse Herb School and Apothecary. And before we hop into today's discussion, I wanted to remind you that there are still spaces for our Urban Davy Women's Retreat that will be in April of 2023. We're going to be in the beautiful, beautiful, lush forests of Costa Rica, five minutes from the beach on the Caribbean side. So please join us if you're interested in learning more about bhakti yoga. If you're interested in learning about herbs, we'll be doing art therapy. And really the goal of the retreat is finding your inner voice. So really we'll be doing a lot of coaching work with women, helping them to find their own voice. And we have a licensed therapist there who will be doing a lot of work with that. So please join us. There's a link below in the description if you want to learn more. We also have a discount for our Roots and Spheres course. If you want to study herbs and astrology with me and my husband, Adam Ellenboss, there's also a link to that where you can receive a $150 discount if you register using our Kickstarter. So you can pledge to the Kickstarter and get a discount. All right, that's all for now. And now on to today's show. Thanks, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Ashley Ellen Boss with Skyhouse Herb School and Apothecary. Today, we'll be talking about cacao medicine, family trust, and importantly, self-trust. And I'll be sharing with you some really cool facts about cacao as a medicine, why you should take it, how to take it, and why it's such a specific medicine for working on trust issues and trust strengthening. Now, I don't know about you. It is the family uh, family season, we could say, or it is the holiday season, uh, which tends to be family season. And so there's a lot happening, I think, within each of us in terms of processing things from childhood, having to process family dynamics, family you know, constellation work, all of this stuff. And so I want to dive into it with you today. Um, I hope this is helpful. I know my last talk that I did on grief, a lot of you had some great comments and shared your experiences. So I hope that this is something similar where I can give you some tools, some ideas of how to dive into this subject, and then a plant that you can work with to maybe help you uncover even more. Because that's how the, the plants work. You know, they, it's like you plant a seed, you put the seed or an intention inside, and you don't have to like do anything. You don't have to do a vision board. You just say, I really want to work on self trust. I really want to trust myself in every situation. And so you make that, you, you either say it or you just have that feeling. And then when you take a plant into your body regularly that works with that particular energy, it's like a little bit of propellant. <laughs> to help you move forward in that work. So let's talk a bit about trust and I'm going to talk I'm going to step back because I've been doing a lot of work lately with my therapist. I have this amazing new therapist and a lot of work I've been doing is on triggering thoughts. So you might be able to relate to this. So have you do you ever have thoughts that just come into your head and these thoughts spin you out. They just send you into <laughs> a frenzy where you're like, okay, what if this is true? What if it's not true? What do I do about this? And you know, you you, you just start losing the plot and, and you can feel your stress in your body starting to build. So we call these uh, triggering thoughts or distressing thoughts. And so the one the one of the ways I've been working with my therapist on DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, is you identify what that distressing thought is, and then you make a list of what is the evidence supporting that thought 
And what is the evidence disproving that thought? Now, this is an important process because if we're having thoughts and we're not actually addressing them, we can take all of the herbs or put as many, you know, little band-aids on top of it. But the thoughts are actually, I think, the most important route that we can get to. And once we can either prove our thoughts to be or our perceptions to be correct or incorrect, once we actually say, you know what, that thought, that's not true. There is no evidence supporting that. And then you can actually see that thought for what it is and realize it's false and let it go. That is huge. At least in my life, it's been so big. So let me give you some examples. Um, And we're going to get a little personal because you know what, why not? (laughs) I feel like when we get personal with each other, it's probably the most helpful. So I'll, I'll tell you a few of my distressing thoughts. So one distressing thought that kind of led me through a really powerful rabbit hole to self-trust was um, thoughts around my dad. And uh, for a lot of you know that I grew up in a family with alcoholism and uh, I don't have a relationship with my father right now because of years and years of behavior that has been very manipulative and very toxic and unhealthy and unsafe to be frank. So, uh, so the thought that I, my distressing thought has been, what if I'm wrong about my dad? Like, what if he's okay? What if it's me? What if, what if I'm seeing him wrong? Maybe there's something wrong with me. I need to change the way I'm seeing this, you know? So I, if you, if you've grown up in a household or in a situation or been in a relationship that's been abusive in any way, you know, this self-doubt can be really strong. We we just wonder like am I seeing this right? Am I am I am I perceiving this person correctly? And when it's someone that we're invested in because of their familial relationship like a parent or their you know, spouse or a sibling, you know, it, we can really spin ourselves out. So what the next step is is to say, well what is the evidence supporting this being true and what is the evidence you know, showing me that this is maybe an untrue thought. What's interesting about this particular thing is, you know, am I wrong about my dad? Is if we look at evidence to support, am I wrong? We're actually looking at, am I wrong? We're looking at, is my perception correct over time about him or has my perception been wrong? So, you know, then we start to have to dig into the past and say, okay, how many times have I had an instinctive thought or have I perceived something and it has been true? And then you have to look at how many times have I thought or perceived something and it was actually false. So the question, when we turn it back and realize, well, that's actually about me and my perception, then, you know, we have to get our, our, our wrap our head around, do I believe in myself? Do I trust myself? Do I trust myself to have correct perception? And so then that becomes a bigger question of looking through your life and saying, how many times has my perception been accurate? And for me, you know, a person living a sober life, very reflective, lots of years in Al-Anon and therapy. I mean, I, I'm certainly not perfect, but but I'm doing the work. Like I am actively engaged in my own recovery process and, and healing process. So you know, as I look through the years and I look at my consistency towards trying to figure things out and, and you know, really being cognizant and aware of my relationships and my effect on other people, 
the list of evidence supporting that I should trust myself is way longer than the list of evidence of the times where I've goofed up, where maybe I've said something and I didn't follow through, or um, you know, I, pers- I I had a perception of something and it turned out to be wrong, and that happens. You know, when we we sometimes have instinctive thoughts and they're not correct, but if you look at the evidence and weigh it out in terms of trusting yourself. Chances are you should trust yourself more than you realize. <laughs> okay? So that's that's one piece. Now let's look at another triggering thought. Let's just say for you it's something more like um my family doesn't accept me, right? Like maybe you feel like the odd person out in your family, maybe because you're listening to this and you're interested in herbs and astrology and crystals and you know meditation, you know, maybe you don't fit into your family model. And so maybe for you it's like do I fit in? You know, would, do, does my family love me? Do they accept me because I'm, you know, maybe I'm I don't follow, I'm not following the path that they would see for me. So then we do the same thing. If that's a triggering thought, then you look at the evidence supporting it and look at all the ways that, you know, does my family support me? Does my family, um, you know, do they approve of me? And and so then you can look down and you can you might actually come up to see, you know what? The evidence is, is that my family doesn't support me. Look at all of this evidence that my family doesn't approve of me. Wow. Maybe I need to re-look and rethink my value in, you know, how I value their opinion of me, right? Maybe I actually don't, maybe I'm looking for validation in the wrong place, right? Or on the other hand, if the list of evidence is very high, you might say to yourself, you know what? These are all the ways my family has supported me, all the ways they've encouraged me. Maybe I'm just feeling a little bit insecure about myself. How can I help myself? How can I build more trust in myself, right? So uh, do you see how this works? It's so, so helpful (laughs) because it helps us to get to the root of are my, you know, what are my thoughts? Are they actually rational and rooted in reality? Because for a lot of us who grow up in, who have experienced trauma or who've grown up in, triggering households with all sorts of different issues, we often really don't know. It's like we we saw stuff going down, but everyone told us things were okay. And so we really are like, um, do I, you know, like my perception, I don't trust my own perception. And so that's the first thing is like, we have to be able to trust ourselves. How could we possibly trust someone else if we cannot trust ourselves and our own judgment. So I encourage you to think about what are some of your triggering thoughts or distressing thoughts. Make your list of evidence for, evidence against. This is a nice little handout that my therapist gave me. If you can read it, right? And so then you have at the very end, once you've measured out the evidence for and evidence against or disproving is what is a more realistic thought? So for example, for my dad, I'm wrong about my dad. Am I wrong about my dad? I'm wrong about him. That distresses me. So once I put all the evidence, my new thought is my dad is not a trustworthy person and I am. (laughs) Wow. That's revolutionary considering how many years I've struggled with that. Or um, how do I gain my family's approval? 
You know, like, why doesn't my family approve of me? We go through this list, right? We go through this list making. We come out with a new thought that says, my family is not capable of of giving me the approval I need. I need to look for approval in myself. That's your new thought. You know, you write that down, (laughs) stick that on your mirror. Like, my work is to validate myself. My family is not capable of validating me in the way that I need. Isn't that helpful than trying to continue to throw a bucket down into an empty well and expecting water to come up? <laughs> right? So so try 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 this on. Try this on. All right. Now I want to share with you a formula for trust. And I drew it, I drew it out with some fun markers because I just I had them here. And I, I like sometimes for me writing things out is helpful. So trust equal. When words and actions are congruent over time. So that's how we know if if trust is possible. So if you and if you if you're listening to this and you can't see this, it's just simply I'm I've written out the words. <laughs> it's nothing fancy. So it's words plus actions are congruent over time. That equals trust. So for example, you know, again, if we start with ourselves, like if I say I'm going to go over to someone's house, granted I didn't get sick or there's snow or something, you know, do I show up? If I say I'm going to volunteer and do this service, do I actually do it? If I tell someone I'm going to take on this project at work, you know, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, do I follow through? So, So for some of us, this is where we get stuck because we don't trust ourselves. We we some self we self sabotage, and we say, "Well, if I can't trust others and I can't trust myself, I'm just going to continue to negate my ability to build trust in myself." So we can stop that. <clears throat> we can just say, "You know what? At work, I'm going to have to say no next time because I wasn't able to do that because I'm just I don't have the bandwidth. I can't deliver, so I'm not going to promise that." Or I'm not going to promise that I'm going to make, I'm not going to make plans with someone until I, you know, I'm going to say to them, I'm not sure about that. Let me get back to you. Or I can't tell you until the morning of, because sometimes things change with my family or my moods and, you know, I'm sorry, but can I tell you Saturday morning if I can meet up Saturday afternoon, right? Honesty. And that congruence in yourself over time helps you to build trust in yourself. And when you've established that trust in yourself, then it's easier to see when someone else is being honest and if they're worthy of your trust or not. Because if we're constantly not, you know, mismatched in our actions and words, then we're likely going to excuse or accept other people whose actions and words are mismatched as well, right? So when we get really clear about, you know what? No, I trust myself. I know myself and I trust myself. Well, (laughs) knowing myself, right? That's a huge can of worms. That takes, (laughs) I don't know if we ever really fully know ourselves, but you know what I'm getting at here, right? Like when you take time to work on yourself and to try to get still and quiet and get to know yourself and you ha- take that moment of pause before you answer someone, before you commit to something, that is going to build that self-trust, right? So 
cacao is the plant medicine that I have found to be so helpful over time. And I am not surprised that there are cacao ceremonies popping up all across the country, really all across the world, but especially here in the United States. You know, pretty much like every yoga studio is hosting cacao ceremonies. And my my feeling about this is that a lot of us are experiencing heartache. We're experiencing deep, deep levels of grief, not only because of, you know, not, not only because of COVID, I think that's stirred up a lot of, of this deep grief of place and culture and heritage and, um, yeah, the world. I mean, the state of the world we're living in with all of the environmental degradation and racism. I mean, there's so much going on right now. I think there's a lot of grief we're holding about that. And, and that does, you know, that extends before the pandemic as well, the cacao ceremonies were opening up across the, the country because people were realizing we're very disconnected from our hearts. We're really good at thinking, we're really good at rationalizing, but are we good at actually feeling and tapping in? And that's what this medicine does. Cacao is, is an indigenous medicine to the Mayan and the Inca people of Mexico. And it was called Theobroma, which is the medicine of the gods or the food actually, food of the gods. And it was considered to be a very sort of high level elevated drink that was used in ceremony um, to help uh, for healing, but also just to really invoke a sense of full heartedness, especially among the leaders, so that they could lead with integrity and lead with a connection of the heart to the head. So the way that I think about cacao medicine working is if you could imagine a figure eight that is in continuous motion between the head and the heart. And I really do think that cacao, theobroma, creates the circuitry between the head and the heart. And we know this actually biologically and physiologically because of all the chemical constituents found in this plant. It's full of, I have a whole list here, it's full of a bunch of um, flavanols, like catechin and epicatechin. It has pro-anthocyanidins. Uh, it has polyphenols, caffeine, theobromine. Um, and what's really interesting is that it has, there's been a number of studies that they've done where they've shown an increase in nitric oxide activity because of the um, increase of circulation that it provokes. And this is mostly through the, uh, the activity of the of the flavanols. And so if we think about what does the heart do? Well, the heart is responsible for circulation. It circulates blood, it pumps blood, it filters blood. Well, not really filters, but moves blood, we could say. And the heart also, we think of in Chinese medicine, in Ayurveda, and in most indigenous cultures, that the heart is also the seat of the soul. So it's where our, our innermost self lives. One of my favorite images from the yogic tradition is that the light in the heart, it's called jayoti. Um, it illuminates the cave. So the heart was seen as a cave. And this light called jayoti, this light of the spirit, illuminates the cave. And written in the walls of the cave of the heart is our life dark. Dharma is our life purpose, our life path. And so, you know, when we get quiet, when we meditate, when we, you know, put our attention onto the heart, we start to be able to read the words and the glyphs and the images of what our purpose is. And so, you know, if you think about a, a medicine like cacao that's constantly 
it's increasing the heart rate. It's increasing blood flow. It's increasing the activity of the heart. It also is increasing the healing capacity of the heart. There was a study that was done in 2010. They treated rats who had had previous myocardial infarctions or heart attacks. Um, they had treated them with a cacao-based um, flavanol called uh, epicatechin, which I mentioned before. And they found that there was a 52% reduction in future myocardial infarction sizes. So that, you know, the, the mice that had them, it was 52% weaker. And also it reduced the scar area strain um, in those areas where there had been uh, a myocardial infarction or heart attack. So it reduced the intensity and it increased the healing um, by a quite significant amount. So it's heart healing. It, it literally heals the heart and prevents attacks to the heart. So it's a defensive med medicine. It protects and defends the heart uh, against constriction or, um, you know, infarctions, which, <laughs> you know, that word is, is pretty um, aggressive in itself. So I, I just, I love the way that we can combine languages between the energetics and the, and the uh, physiological, you know, and these, these chemical compounds and just look at like, yeah, it is a heart medicine. A few other things that I thought was really interesting is that uh, cacao also increases the HDL, the high, the um, high density lipoproteins, which is really essential for cardiovascular and arterial health. So in one study, they showed um, an increase of 11.4% of HDL. And another thing that's interesting on a, uh, on a note, uh, sort of a, um, you could say like a, a physio, uh, um, psychological note is that, did you know that cacao contains a cannabinoid like fatty acid called anandinine? Um, and maybe you've heard of anandinine, but it contains anandinine analog. So it's like precursors to anandinine, anandinine. And this cannabinoid like fatty acid plugs to these cannabinoid receptors. So it has a similar effect that cannabis has. And on these ananda, these um anandamide receptors, ananda, they took it from the Sanskrit word, which means bliss. So you maybe you've heard of the anandamaya kosha in the kosha system or the sheaths of the body. So they actually took it from that because it creates a bliss-like effect in our mind. So cacao creates this bliss-like effect, much like um, the cannabinoids found in, um, in marijuana. How about that? But it doesn't have this, it doesn't have the same thing. And I wanted to read to you also, I hope I'm not boring you, but <laughs> I love this stuff. So this is from a book called Herbs and Supplements, an Evidence-Based Guide. This is volume two. This is the latest uh, copy. I think it came out in 2021, was it? No, 2017, I think. Anyway, it's the latest. This is like, look how thick this book is. If you can't see, uh, I'll just tell you how many pages. Um, it's like 1,370 pages of research on plants. So I wanted to read to you from this book on the power of cacao and its psychological effects. So chocolate is purported to have a range of psychological effects, including enhanced arousal and cognitive function, stimulation of feelings of well-being and euphoria, as well as initiating cravings. The orosensory aspects of chocolate, including its taste, smell, and texture, certainly contribute to chocolate's positive appeal. 
Chocolate contains large amounts of fat in the form of cocoa butter, which melts at body temperature, producing a pleasurable melt-in-the-mouth experience. Chocolate also contains large amounts of sugar, well, if it's added, um, and this seems to satisfy those who have a preference for sweet foods. In addition to unique sensory properties, chocolate also contains many pharmacologically active substances. Several endogenous biogenic amines with sympathetometric properties are found in chocolate, most, no most notably tyramine and phenylethylamine. <laughs> Big words. Okay, phenylethylamine is an amphetamine analog structurally related to methamphetamine that may act to potentiate dopaminergic and noradrenergic neurotransmission and modulate mood. This is from a study done in 1999. Cacao is also known to contain methylhexanines, including caffeine and theobromine, both of which are stimulants. Although the simulatory and sympo pathomimetic effects of caffeine are well-documented. The psychological effects of theobromine are less certain. Then it says also, okay, so here we go into another one. A group of biologically active constituents, including N-oleoethoanilamine and N-lineoalolethoalamine have been identified in chocolate and appear to be related to anandamide, the internal bliss chemical, which is the endogenous lipoprotein that binds to cannabinoid receptors within the brain. This was a 1996 study. Although it has been suggested that these compounds may elicit heightened sensitivity and euphoria by directly activating cannabinoid receptors or by increasing anandamide levels, Measurements have suggested that their amount in cacao is several orders of magnitude below those required to reach the blood and cause observable central nervous system effects. However, it does, right? So this is like kind of like, you know, um, homeopathic medicine where you take a little bit of something and it stimulates the body to have a particular response. So if we're trying to get into our bliss body, where do you think bliss is created? Is it created in the head? No, it's created in the heart. You know, when you're in love, like that's bliss, right? When we feel like we're not alone, I think that's like our number one fear is somehow we're alone, you know, or unlovable, unlikable, or, you know, somehow flawed or, or, you know, irre irreparable, uh, irreparable, right? There's like this deep fear we have. So when we go into our heart, when we fall in love and we feel this sense of euphoria, bliss, of connection, that if you have that in yourself and you're able to contain your focus of that in yourself, won't that help you fall in love with yourself? So if you've ever been to a cacao ceremony, you know, the, the invitation is always stay in your body. Stay in your body, stay in your heart, breathe into your heart, right? Breathe into the back of your heart, the place of the parts of your heart that you don't often even look at or, or acknowledge the parts of you that you thought were unlovable, but are actually probably your coolest parts, <laughs> right? And so if we use this as a medicine for introspective work, to stay in our bodies, to stay in love with ourselves, that's going to build the self-trust we need to be more discerning of who we we let into our circle of trust. Um, and that's important because trust is not, trust has to be earned. 
We can't just give our trust away freely. You know, it's like, you know, a lot of, of dogs that come from abused households, it's like, you know, they, they'll snap at someone that reminds them of a previous owner. And so it's going to take time. Like we have a dog who we rescued and she was abused. I don't know. I, I think by a man who had a broom because she would just cower every time the broom came out, especially when my husband would take it out. And there was no reason we had never done anything, with, you know, but this was something that was in her. So we had, you know, she had to learn to trust us that when the broom came out, that we weren't going to hurt her. And that took time. And so, you know, even though we can do mental gymnastics and say, well, maybe they're okay. Well, maybe I can trust them. You know, uh, if I do this and this and this, it'll be safe. Maybe, and maybe not, you know, maybe the trust has been broken. And until their actions and words are congruent over a long period of time, maybe you just don't need to have them in your life. You know, uh, maybe things will get better for you and maybe even get better for them when those strong boundaries are set because you've established a clear sense of trust in yourself. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot. Now, um, how do you take cacao? Now, my preference is to use powdered cacao. I really like to use uh, fermented, so raw, fermented. So it's, it's like raw, then it's fermented. That's the process that they do. And then it's powdered. And then I like to add a few teaspoons of this to a warm milk of choice. So I like goat milk, but if you're a vegan or you don't use animal products, you can do almond milk or oat milk. You can make those yourself or you can buy them. Um, those are really nice options. And froth it up, you know, really whip it up and drink that. Drink that on a daily basis. And you want it to be bitter. I don't actually add sweetener to mine. I like it really, really bitter bitter and strong and black. I don't know. I like, <laughs> I, I like my herbs potent. So, you know, sometimes I won't even measure. I'll just pour it in. I'm like, that looks thick enough. <laughs> and then I'll drink it. Um, another few things you can add to it. Traditionally in, in Mayan medicine, it was used with a little bit of vanilla and sometimes some cayenne powder or spice. And that also potentiates the circulatory activities of this plant and will really get your heart pumping and get things moving more. Now, if you're really sensitive to stimulants, um, you may want to start with a lower dose. You might want to start with maybe like one teaspoon um, and just see how your body responds. Um, I wouldn't do this before bed because it has stimulating qualities. This is a good thing to drink in the morning, maybe as a replacement to coffee or tea or something like that. You know, Or if you have some time in the afternoon and you're going to be doing some meditation or yoga, um, going on a walk in the woods, it's a really good time to take it and to or to do journaling, right? Take some cacao, drink it, and let it be in your body. Um, that's my favorite way. You can do dark chocolate too in squares, but um, there's something I think about drinking it in the powdered form where you, I think you get more. I think you get more from it. So that's what I have for you today. Uh, I wish you all a very happy holiday season and a wonderful new year ahead. Trust in yourself, do the work, give yourself space and time this holiday season to be alone, to do your own processing, to create ways to build and enhance your own self-trust. Like just even write yourself a list. Okay, here are some things I've said I was going to do. Let me make sure I do them. I'm going to put them on my calendar. Or these are things I want to do and I'm going to do them. And I'm going to write sticky notes and I'm going to do these things because I want to show myself that I can do them. So start small, pick maybe one thing or two things and, and go for it and, and watch how that 
commitment and those actions in congruency help to build that self-love and self-trust that I think we all crave so much. Thank you all. Take care and I'll see you again soon.